I invite you, if you're able, to stand and uh, we'll come to attention as I share together this word from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. A familiar passage, but maybe that's all the more reason for us to listen a little more carefully. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy, On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother. And flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it's that time of year, Christmas decorations come down and we start uh, cranking up to get back to the routine and the, the rut or the rigmarole or whatever you want to call it. And uh, we maybe even think that we're done with Christmas, but I have a question for us this morning. Uh, and it's not, are we done with Christmas, but is Christmas done with us? Or to say it another way, we may think we're finished with Christ our light But is Christ our light finished with us? You see, if the incarnation is true, if the God of this cosmos has actually become flesh and come to be among us, if that is true, then there's no way we can put this truth away with the candles and the wreaths and the nativity sets and just tuck them away for another season only to be brought out again another 11 and a half months. It's too important a truth for us to put away. There's a reason that through the generations, the church has celebrated 12 days of Christmas from December 25 until Epiphany, January 6th. There's a reason for that because we can't hold all this mystery. We can't hold all this truth 
uh, in, in a limited period of time. And so we really have to ask, is there more truth for us even post-Christmas Day? Uh, it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who used to walk down the street and when he would meet someone he knew, he would say, and what new thing have you learned since we met last? What new thing have you learned since we met last? And so I might ask you this morning, in Christ's light, what new thing do you see? In, in Christ's light shining in your life and shining on our church and community and shining in our world this special season, what is it that has occurred to you? What new thing have you discovered? There are a lot of lessons, and uh, the scripture text in front of us from uh, Matthew suggests several things. The first would be very simply that the light of Christ shines so that we can see the sin of fearing and hating the other. The sin of fearing and hating the other. Someone who's not like us. Someone who doesn't speak like us or think like us or dress like us or be like us. Herod is that perfect example of that kind of insecurity, that kind of fear that turns to violence. Herod not only uh, jealously sought out the, the baby king to destroy him, in the process he killed, he killed scores and scores of innocent babies in order to carry out his hatred and to show his insecurity and his jealousy and his hatred. But history books also tell us Herod had one of his favorite wives killed because he was afraid there was a plot to rob him of his throne. He had several of his own sons executed because he was so insecure and he was so determined to hang on to his political power. I mean, he was vile. He was nasty. But here's a problem with a lot of Bible study habits that we've developed over the years and, and sermon habits. We like to read this passage from Matthew and we like to say, you know, some people are like Herod, full of hate, fearing the other, full of violence, full of anger toward people uh, who might take his place. Some people are like Herod, but some people are like Mary and Joseph, obedient and humble. But the greater truth is this. We're all like Herod, and we're all like Mary and Joseph. In other words, inside each of us, there's a little bit of all of that. There's some Herod in us, despising the other, hating what we don't understand, fearing the person we don't know. And the light of Jesus Christ just shines a huge spotlight, not only on Herod, but on us, if, we're, if our eyes are open to see it. Uh, I heard about a, a woman who finally convinced her mother to go to the doctor and have cataract surgery because her mother was having such difficulty reading and seeing. And she'd put it off and put it off. And finally the, the woman convinced her mother to have the cataract surgery and they came home from the hospital and uh, the lady sat her mother down in front of the big picture window on a sunny day and she had the curtains open and she said, now mom, what new thing do you see? 
after the surgery, she was expecting this uh, wonderful comment on the, the beautiful scenery outside. And her mom looked around for a moment and said, don't you ever dust your furniture? <laughs> yeah. When the light shines and when our eyes are open to the truth, we see ugly things about our own character and our own lives. Uh, we've heard the Christmas story read and told so often, it doesn't even occur to us that the wise men were not Jews. They were not traditional people of God. They were Persian astrologers, translated Iranians. They were from Iran. And they probably weren't even Jews. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, chooses to use them to show the Israelites the truth that the Israelites were missing. And if it's true that the Gospel of Matthew was compiled originally as a new member's manual, it's organized in a very structured way, as if it was for teaching new believers the faith and the way of Jesus, if it's true that Matthew's Gospel is a new member's manual, then what is it that Matthew's trying to say? He's trying to say to the church to get over itself. We're not the only ones God loves. God loves other people too. And God's mercy is very broad, uh, wide and very broad. And you know, in my own life, just when I think I've overcome prejudice and bigotry, something will happen or something will pop in my mind and I'll realize that there is this embedded racism or this embedded bias against uh, someone who, who's not like me. And, and it just, that light shines and it's not very pretty. We have this twisted image of people we don't know and don't understand. And it takes the light of Jesus to shine to help us see that those people are created by God and loved by God. And we have to let the light shine on such truth. The light of Christ, I think, also shines to show us the broken and the needy, the... Uh, weak and the powerless because we're so busy with our lives we, we rush right by the vulnerable those who can't take care of themselves the light shines the light of Jesus shines I mean Jesus in this story is a defenseless exposed baby exposed to the elements exposed to political hatred exposed to assassination attempts Jesus is the helpless vulnerable baby and Jesus taught us didn't he that when we do things to the least of these around us, we do it to Jesus because Jesus was there. Herod was out to kill the baby. The baby and his parents had to flee to another country. Egypt was beyond Herod's rule, so that was a place of refuge for them. Our own Brian Kaler uh, recently wrote uh, a very good column, or a good article rather, in word and way just before Christmas, uh, he was quoting Dr. Rodney Reeves, professor at Southwest Baptist University, and he talked about how we have sanitized Christmas and we have so made Christmas fluffy and sentimental and we've forgotten the violent and the painful part of Christmas. And here's what he said. This is Dr. Rodney Reeves. Perhaps the way we celebrate Christmas says more about us than it does about the birth of Jesus. 
For we ignore the rest of Matthew's story, which is equally important. Jesus was a refugee seeking asylum from a wicked king who was out to kill him. So, part of the Christmas story, even with all the violent imagery and disquieting storyline of refugees and weeping mothers, needs to be remembered too. The Christmas story of refugees fleeing and mothers weeping is a part of the Christmas story. I love one comment that I read recently. Said in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is born, everybody's singing. You notice how many times in Luke's gospel there are songs, the angels break out in song, Elizabeth breaks out in song, Mary breaks out in song. In Luke's gospel, everybody's singing. In Matthew's gospel, everybody's weeping. Everybody's crying because Matthew says, when all those babies died, There was weeping in Palestine over the tragic death of innocence. And so God calls us to see in every suffering person the face of Jesus. He calls us to see in them the image of God and the face of Jesus. So the light of Jesus shines helps us see the sin of fear and hatred. The light of Jesus shines and helps us see the broken and the powerless around us. But the light of Jesus also shines a light on the throne in our own hearts. Somebody or something is on the throne of your heart. Someone or something Is it the control panel calling the shots in your life and in mine? And very artfully, Matthew takes this spotlight of Jesus and he deals throughout these 15 verses with the theme of king. Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king. But what's really interesting is wise men come to King Herod and say, who, where is the one who was born king? In the Greek language, it's a participle. Not just the one who was born, but the born king. The one who at birth was king. So, embedded in that, they were saying, Herod, you may have purchased the throne... You may have finagled for the throne. You may have politicked for the throne. You may have even inherited the throne because of whose child you are. But Herod, we want to know, where's the one who was born king? That probably rankled him, don't you imagine? And then when they talk about Jesus, quoting that prophecy in verse 6, they talk about how he's going to shepherd people. Do you see the difference, the different kind of king Jesus is? He doesn't force his way on us. He shepherds us. Earthly kings and earthly politicians take in order to benefit self. But King Jesus gives in order to save us. You see the difference? Earthly kings take. Earthly rulers take. But King Jesus is a shepherd who gives. He gave his life. And the gifts that were presented to him, at least two of them, 
were gifts that were reserved for royalty. He's king. I'd never thought about it before until I was preparing this message. This scripture in Matthew 2 anticipates the Apostle Paul's words some 50 years later in Philippians 2, that great hymn in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where the Apostle Paul says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, emptied himself of all of his privilege, took on the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, but not just death, death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's king. But he did it the hard way, by serving and by dying for us. So the light of Jesus shines on our hearts and exposes who or what is king there in place of Jesus. And let me suggest something. While Jesus, the baby in this story, was exposed and had lost all privileges and had lost all security, this scripture convicts me that a lot of what we worship today as middle class Westerners, a lot of what we worship today is privilege and security. Think how much time and energy are consumed by us keeping, gaining, preserving privilege and security. And those are the two things that baby Jesus did not have and yet God took care of him and highly exalted him. And it's when we come to the place of realizing that we really don't have privilege and security that we gain the king. When we stop trusting other things as our God and start trusting Jesus as Lord, that's when actually we gain security. It's when we, it's when we acknowledge our need of a king to the throne of our lives. King Jesus. Let's pray. God, open our hearts to the truth you have for us and open our hearts to the meeting that we are supposed to have with your spirit during this time of invitation and response.